This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Welcome to the show, and we welcome back to the show State Representative Lindsay Sabadosa. She is with us every month, and we so appreciate your time that you spend with us, Representative. Really, it's just an honor, and I think it's a real public service for you to be with us and to explain what is happening in the legislature and the state politics and the policies. Thank you so very much. I'd like to ask you today, Representative Sabadosa, about the ballot questions. Not that the legislature is going to take any action on them, but because you as a leader, as a political leader, as a policy leader in this community, I think people really want to know what you think and what your position is with regard to these really important statewide questions on which we will begin to vote. Early voting is about to happen. Some people, of course, have mail-in ballots as well. And then there will be election day on November 8th. So that's okay with you. I'd like to start ballot question number four, because to me, this raises not only policy issues, but well, moral and ethical issues as well. And I'd appreciate it if you would tell our listeners and share with our listeners your position on question four. Of course, thank you so much. And thank you for having me here. Um, it's always a pleasure to to be in the studio to chat with you in Monteville. Um, so ballot question number four is one that is very near and dear to me as well. And I'll just start off by saying it's a yes vote. Vote yes on four. Um, and this is a an attempt to repeal the Work and Family Mobility Act. Um, so by voting yes, you keep the Work and Family Mobility Act in place. That's confusing. People think, I don't want to repeal it, so I should vote no. But if you want to keep it in place, you vote yes. So that said, what is the Work and Family Mobility Act? The Work and Family Mobility Act is a piece of legislation that the legislature passed this session after decades of work to allow undocumented immigrants in our state to obtain driver's licenses. So why does this matter? It puts Massachusetts in line with other states. We will be the 18th state plus the District of Columbia to implement this. It was not scheduled to go into effect until next year, and it will allow people who are already residents of our state, because you do have to prove residency, so people who are already residents of our state to obtain a license, which I think we all know is, we, we talk about it being a, a privilege, not a right, but if you want to go to school, if you want to go to work, if you want to get to the doctors, being in Western Massachusetts, a license is essential. So this is a very small thing we can do to help our neighbors in our community. One aspect of question four, or the, the, another aspect of question four, in addition to what is its sensible, logical, uh, human rights, uh, uh, the human rights that it fosters, is that it is a public safety measure because we want people on the road to be trained, to be tested, to be qualified, to be licensed, to be insured, because that helps everyone on the road. It makes all the roads all that much safer for everyone. In addition to the person who doesn't have immigration documents, uh, there is this public safety aspect for everyone. And I'd appreciate your comments on that, Representative Sabadosa. No, I, I couldn't agree more with that. And in fact, uh, although this is slightly terrifying, my daughter will in fact be 16 next week. Uh, I know, right? <laughs> it's a little scary. Uh, you thought just Halloween was going to be scary, but there's that fact as well. Um, so we are currently going through the process of learning how to drive and getting a license. And um, I have to say, the 
bar is much higher than it was when I got my license uh, you know, just a few short years ago when I was 16. Um, I've watched, you know, the number of hours that it requires, the amount of driving that it takes. There's even a parent component now where you have to, to sit in. That's for the young ones and wouldn't be for people over 18. But um, the, it really does set a very high standard of what you need to know to operate a vehicle in the state of Massachusetts. And so to think that, you know, there are some people who are arguing, ah, they're driving anyway, they don't need a license. And this is things I've, I've heard the opposition say. It's just, it's such a short-sighted argument because really the the best way to have safe roads is to make everyone go through that program, to have them understand what the rules are. And, you know, that means that they're, if you're going to be operating a vehicle, you're going to have a registered vehicle, you're going to get insurance. I've heard people say, oh, well, you don't need to buy insurance if you get a license. Please don't let anyone tell you that. If you operate a vehicle without insurance in the state of Massachusetts, there are fines, you could face a year in jail. You could end up losing your license. You could lose your registration. There, There is a whole series of penalties. So actually, no, having insurance is very, very important and the law if you are going to drive. So these are all things that at the end of the day, make sure that everybody who is on the road is a safe driver and an insured driver. And I just don't understand why anybody would want differently. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, both of you on this one too. When you are undocumented in this country, it is not necessarily a criminal infraction. It's a civil infraction in many instances. Driving without a license is a criminal infraction. It is, although a misdemeanor. So we are forcing people who are here not doing anything, quote unquote, criminal to do something criminal by not allowing them to get a license and get insured. That's a great argument, and it's completely accurate. Uh, entering the country without proper documents is just a civil infraction. But I, I will also say, and I've, I know this is a little bit more of a nuanced argument, but it's an important one to make because we use the term undocumented, which is a good term, but it makes people think that you know the government has no idea who any of these people are. We, we don't know what's happening. But actually, most people who are coming into the country, even though they don't have legal status, have some connection with the government. They may be applying for asylum. They may be here as refugees. There's, there's some connection. And so I think it's important to understand these are people who are trying to be here legally, right? Like They're trying to go through what is our cumbersome, difficult immigration process. And it's just not always quick. But this ballot question four is not a referendum on immigration nationally. Um, we can debate that ad nauseum another time. This is really just a question of whether the state of Massachusetts should make sure that the undocumented individuals who live here, who are residents here, are allowed to drive safely on our roads. So to me, it's a very easy yes. It's an easy yes, I think, for the additional reasons, but the related reasons, that if, for example, there were an accident, you want both cars in the accident to be insured. Absolutely. And if there were an accident, if there were an accident, you would want to have both people, both drivers, to have proper identification so that they can share it with each other. And if there were an accident, you want to have the impetus, the motivation for everyone to stay at the accident scene and not run into and be afraid of running into authorities. You want the people driving on the roads to be licensed, to be insured, and to have the proper training and to have passed the tests. This to me is in many ways, in addition to its moral and ethical aspects, a no-brainer because it brings together not only human rights, but public safety. Everyone, not everyone, but most people, a majority of people in positions of authority who look at this, including district attorneys, 
including sheriffs, uh, including the insurance industry, including immigration advocates, across the political spectrum. People are saying, leaders are saying, vote yes on four, vote yes to retain this bill. I frankly, I don't get the opposition. I just don't get it. I don't either. And if listeners also don't get the opposition, they can come and canvas for Yes on Four. We will be in Williamsburg on Saturday, the 29th at 11 a.m. in front of Bergie Market. You can come and join us. And if that doesn't work, come on Sunday at 11 a.m. at my district office, 76 Gothic Street in Northampton. We will get you trained and out to talk to voters about why you should vote Yes on Four. And to tell them that Yes on Four is not in the Red Book that was sent to you by the Secretary of State. So people may be at home trying to flip through the book going, what are they talking about? There's no question for. It is not in that booklet. It was simply because it got put on the ballot later. That book had already been printed and sent out. So a lot of people don't even know that question four is on the ballot. And in most communities, including Northampton, you have to flip the ballot in order to find question four. So if you go in to vote and you forget to flip over your ballot, you may miss it entirely. So remember to flip the ballot for yes on four and come canvas with us next weekend. Right. Look on the back. And if there is, you are in a community, I don't know if there are any in Western Mass that have two sheets, look at the second sheet. It We can be sure it's not on the front of the ballot. It was an add-on because it was added to this election cycle late. So please, Yes on four. Representative Sabadosa, let's turn to question one, the fair share amendment. Your position on this, please. I am also a yes on one. These are easy questions to start with because I have voted for yes on four when it was legislation and I have voted for yes on one twice. Yes on one is a slightly different question because this is a constitutional amendment. So while four people tried to get this on the ballot for question one, it has to go on the ballot because the voters have to weigh in as to whether we amend the constitution. So the legislature voted for this twice. It passed in two separate sessions and now here we are before voters. This is the fair share amendment. So this would create a surtax for people who make over $1 million a year. Now, I I need to be very clear. That's not um, people who um, make a million dollars and then write a bunch of it off and they own a business and so, you know, their profit is $100,000 even though the business made over a million. These are people who are taking home. This is what they are enjoying for themselves, over a million dollars a year. And the tax is really just 4%. So it's a very small tax, but it's a way to add a little bit of progressivity to our flat tax system here in Massachusetts. So what are we going to do with the money? The money, if you can read in the ballot question, is intended to go towards transportation and education, two areas in Massachusetts that, we'll just be very frank, are chronically underfunded. So this is a way of taking some extra money from people who have a little bit of extra money to give and putting it into pots in the state that really, really need it. And your response to people who say, well, how can we trust the legislature to do that? Because that's what the opposition says. Well, how can you trust the legislature? To which I think part of the answer is the legislature is not going to flagrantly disobey the constitution of the Commonwealth that they've just sworn an oath to uphold. That is true. Besides besides that, everyone's watching. That is true. And we do swear uh, an oath to uphold the constitution. That that happens at the beginning of every session, uh, both the federal and the state constitutions. So... 
I think if you start to look at the funding levels for education, you can see really clearly where the state could use these dollars and where we could step in. I, mean, I saw a report from the auditor, I think it was just two days ago, about uh, rural transportation and how we do not fully fund that, about special ed transportation, about um, just the way that communities are having to pour in their own money to make up what the state is not able to provide based on what our current budgeting looks like. And so the same thing holds true with transportation, right? We know that we want robust transportation. I hear this all the time from people. The PVTA needs more routes. We need more drivers. We need it to be more frequent. We need it to be more accessible. I can't take it if it only runs once an hour. It's taken me four hours to get to my doctor's appointment. How am I supposed to live like this? Well, if you want any of those things fixed, question one is the answer because that gives us the money to do it. Do you think there's any risk of t taking money from the existing budgets away from education and transportation if this passes? That's sort of, sort of been the only argument that I've heard that might be detrimental to voting yes on one. I don't think so because you see that we are trying to make greater and greater investments every year. We passed the Student Opportunity Act, which provides for increases over a seven-year period that got moved a little bit because of the pandemic, so it had to you know, be six years as opposed to seven. But we are making those increased investments. There's a real commitment to that. And in addition, you also see the legislature trying to grapple with questions around early childhood education and higher education. We're really only right now talking K through 12. We have so much that we have let fallen by the wayside. And we could talk a lot about how that's because the way federal funding has changed. And we that gets when the federal government changes how they fund things, it gets pushed down onto the states. And when the states can't handle it. We push it down to the municipalities. But right now, your cities and towns are, the bulk of their budget is going towards education, and the state does need to step up and do that. So rather than, you know, taking money away or moving things around, we're going to have enormous pressure from our cities and towns when this passes. They're all going to be there saying, all right, you told us more money is coming, and it's going to be our job to do that. And I think we'll be it to the person who decides that they're going to try to um, mess with that. Wouldn't want to get in a fight with uh, City Hall. <laughs> we are speaking with State Representative Lindsay Sabadoso. We're going to squeeze in a quick break here. And when we come back, we are going to discuss with the representative questions two and three. We'll be right back. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. If I had a million dollars. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Some of the lowest income districts will actually be able to spend per student close to some of the highest districts, as it should be. You should not be underfunded because you happen to have been born in Holyoke or New, New Bedford or Fall River. 1015, 1400 and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. At American National, what's important to you is important to us. Just like every horse is unique, so is our equine coverage. American National's equine owner's insurance is designed to address the inherent risks involved with owning horses. Flexible enough to provide property and liability coverage for operations of various sizes, yet can be tailored for your specific needs. We're right by your side. For more information, just visit AmericanNational.com. American National Property and Casualty Company and Affiliates, Springfield, Missouri. What's more important, a great paying job or feeling fulfilled at the end of the day? Well, when you work at Cooley Dickinson Hospital Northampton, you won't have to choose because you'll get both. 
Cooley Dickinson Hospital has great paying and fulfilling openings in environmental services and transport. And on Wednesday, October 26th and Thursday, October 27th, they're holding on-the-spot interviews from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. at the North Entrance, 30 Locust Street, Northampton. Or visit CooleyDickinson.org today. At PV Squared Solar, we live by our mission, energizing a brighter future for people and planet. This year, we are celebrating our 20th anniversary. 20 years of designing, building, and maintaining quality solar. 20 years of relationships founded on trust and clean energy. 20 years of powerful cooperation. Thank you for the partnerships along the way, and we look forward to serving this community for 20 years more. Happy birthday, PV Squared! Learn more at pvsquared.coop. Sunday mornings on WHMP means polka, polka carousel. Every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, TZ brings his award-winning polka carousel to the airwaves of the valley, playing the polka classics and the latest polka hits. There are polka hits? Brought to you by Saluzniak Funeral Home, Northampton's funeral home for over 110 years and four generations of unparalleled, thoughtful memorial care. It's polka carousel every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, WHMP. Northampton Neighbors is free of charge and open to all with a range of social and volunteer opportunities as well as services and support for members 55 and older in the city of Northampton. Need help? Want to help? Join us as a member, a volunteer, or donor. Northampton Neighbors is about more than aging in place. We're about engaging in place, this place. Find us online at northamptonneighbors.org or call us at 413-341-0160. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our conversation with State Representative Lindsay Sabadosa. We are talking about the ballot questions. The representatives told us why she is supporting yes to retain the Work and Family Mobility Act, yes on question four, and yes on the fair share amendment, the constitutional amendment to raise money for education and transportation, a small surtax, not even a surtax, an additional tax, a progressive tax on people whose income, income, adjusted gross income, no less, is over a million dollars per year of income, of income, of income, a million dollars. Yes on four, yes on one. Tell us about question two and three, if you would. Let's start with question two. Representative? Um, well, question two is a question that would change the percentage of money that can go to administration for dental insurance. Um, so it would put, I believe, more money into the hands of, of dentists, of providers. And it feels like it is a, uh, a common sense uh, piece of legislation that would help um, you know, bring dental insurance, I think, into into line with other types of insurance. And requires insurance companies to pay out. It, it's not even equal to what they have to pay out or required to pay out by law to other kinds of for medical insurance, which is 87% of the premiums that are brought in. So this is only 83%. It still is less than for other aspects of the medical insurance industry. Uh, again, this one seems so clear. Everyone is supporting it, except for the large insurance companies that are making untold millions of dollars off this every year. Let's yes, it is always interesting to check to see who the proponents are and who the opposition are for these questions. And I think that's particularly true for questions two and question, well, maybe a little bit for question one as well, but questions one, two, and three. Okay, so question three. Uh, so I... 
I feel like I should let Monty explain what question three is. Because <laughs> it's about alcohol. Yes. So and, like, we're going to turn to the like expert. I'm like a chocoholic, <laughs> but for booze, as the old Onion headline said. Yes. So question three, a law proposed by initiative petition. Uh, the petitioners who instituted it are the 21st Century Alcohol Retail Reform Committee, which I've been calling a super pack of package stores, including Sean Barry of Four Seasons Wine and Liquors in Hadley. And it says that beginning in 2023... The proposed law would set a maximum number of all alcoholic beverage licenses that one retailer could own or control at seven licenses unless they already hold more than seven. It would also uh, require retailers to conduct the sale of alcohol beverage uh, off-premise face-to-face so you couldn't like take it through a scanner or a mo- uh, whatever they call those things without, without human being cashiers. Um, and it would also allow retailers to accept out-of-state driver's licenses as proper identification, which they don't currently allow. You need like a passport as opposed to like a Connecticut license plate. Theoretically, they're not supposed to sell you alcohol even if you're 21. Now, the sticky wicket here is that there are giant retailers, one in particular called Total Wines, that has 220 stores in 27 states. And what they do are they're like the Walmart of liquor. They come in. They have this giant liquor warehouse. They push out all the small mom and pop shops and take over the entire market. This was proposed by smaller shops saying, we don't want to outright ban you total wine, but we want to limit the number of full liquor licenses you have to seven total. Now, there are some liquor store owners that I talked to that are concerned that it'll expand from there. It used to be three was the max that you could have. It's already going to expand to seven. Um, so there's a there's another side to the coin, but the fact that so many people looking who supports this are small to medium sized uh, liquor stores, I I am supporting this one as well, and I'm biased because Sean Barry from Four Seasons Wine and Liquors is the guy who helps me push my shopping cart the entire 43 miles on the food bank. But State Street, um, uh, Wes uh, DeSantis, who does the buying for State Street, largely supportive of it in general, with some reservations. Uh, other liquor store owners I've gone to visit or see have signs up to vote yes on three. So that is very telling to me. Okay. So just for those of us who are only now beginning to understand question three, basically writ large, the story is if you support the mom and pop stores, you vote yes. If you want the really big liquor chains to be advantaged, you vote no. Do I right. have it? That's essentially right. And then hold your legislators accountable to not expanding it any further. It was already a non-binding referendum on a ballot years ago. Should it be expanded to more licenses? Largely, the citizenry said no. The legislature voted to expand it anyway. So now this is a citizen initiative petition to say, let's keep it here. Let's keep it there. <laughs> so you, Lindsay Sabadosa, and the rest of the delegation, don't let that expand too much more. It's kind of a fair play move in my w- estimation because, like I said, it's not banning big, big, big liquor stores like Total Wine from coming in, but it is severely limiting how many can be here. Okay, so, so far we have the representatives' positions on questions one, two, three, and four. Pretty easy to remember. Yes, 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 and yes. Uh, We have just a minute left, Representative Sabadosa. There are some non-binding questions on the ballot in your district as well. Would you want to tell us about those? Sure. Well, the only non-binding ballot question in my district is question five. And just for people who are listening, that district is Northampton, West Hampton, Hatfield, Williamsburg, Chesterfield, Goshen, Plainfield, Cummington, and Worthington. So this is what you will see on your ballot if you live in those communities. Um, There is a question that asks whether citizens would like to have a carbon tax 
that would be placed on the sale of carbon, so so fossil fuels, and then that tax would then be redistributed, so it would go back to the citizens, but divided in a way that it gives more to environmental justice communities, so communities that bear the greatest brunt of climate change. So if you are a community where that's where the power generator is, that's where the uh, the dump is, that's where... Um, the bulk of recycling takes place, all which has an effect on the community. More money would go back to you than other communities that are less affected. So this is a non-binding resolution, which means if it passes, it doesn't mean that there's going to be a law in place. The other four questions actually will tangibly affect the law in the state. This one is just advising the legislature as to what people's opinions are. And I have been telling people this is a great one to vote yes on because climate change is one of the most pressing issues that we're going to deal with in our lifetimes. And it sends a strong message that I have a mandate from my constituents to fight as hard as I can for measures that affect climate change. We are going to leave it there. So easy to remember the representative's suggestions and her position on the ballot questions. Yes, 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 and yes. Very positive message. Thank you so much, Representative Sabados. We really appreciate your time Thank and you. leadership. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. And what's more is true. Yes, it is. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. An Amherst mother and her son are recovering after eating what turned out to be poisonous mushrooms they had foraged. 22 News reports Cam Look and her son Kai Chen found mushrooms that were very similar ones they had been able to safely eat when they lived in Malaysia. However, after they ate their meal, they became very sick and headed to Cooley Dickinson Hospital. They were then transferred to UMass Memorial Medical Center in Worcester. A special drug was flown in from Philadelphia to save the two who were both suffering from life-threatening liver damage. Police are investigating after a UMass student got scammed at a gas station. According to UMass Amherst Police Department, on Monday a student that stopped for gas along Route 9 was approached by a woman who said she had no cash or card to buy gas and the station would not accept a check. The woman told the student she would write her a check if she swiped her card and she could get gas. The student agreed. Later that night, money was taken out of the student's account. Police say a card skimmer was used to obtain the student's credit debit card information to steal money from the account. The Greenfield Police Department audit will not be happening after City Council unanimously voted against it on Wednesday. Members of the public also voiced their concerns during public comment about the cost of an audit and what progress would come from it. Councillor Penny Ricketts said the reason she would not vote for the audit was the price tag, but that she was for an audit as it may be beneficial down the road. Vice President Dan Gwynn said that he would vote no and look at it again when it comes back. Mostly sunny breezy today, a high of 54 to 58. Scattered clouds tonight, evening temperatures in the 40s and 50s, an overnight low of 30 to 36. Mostly sunny tomorrow, a little warmer, a high of 58 to 62, mid to upper 60s and bright on Saturday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. Las escuelas públicas de Holyoke anunciaron el miércoles que dos maestros de Holyoke y dos líderes escolares fueron homenajeados este mes por el Estado de la Educación Latina en la celebración del quinto aniversario de Latinos por la Educación, así como el mes de la herencia hispana. 
Entre ellos se encuentran la profesora Janet Morales, maestra de inglés como segundo idioma de Holyoke High, Roberto Vicente, decano de gestión y operaciones de la Escuela Kelly, Christine Pérez, maestra de inglés de la Escuela PEC, y Sacha García Mailú, directora de la Escuela Sullivan. El evento anual del Estado de la Educación Latina reúne a los líderes educativos locales, estatales y nacionales para celebrar la resistencia de la comunidad latina y destacar el papel fundamental que desempeñan los educadores y líderes latinos en la consecución de la equidad educativa para los estudiantes latinos. En otras informaciones, el presidente de Estados Unidos, Joe Biden, anunció el miércoles un plan para vender el resto de su liberación de la Reserva de Emergencia de Petróleo de la Nación para fin de año y comenzar a rellenar las reservas mientras trata de amortiguar los altos precios de la gasolina antes de las elecciones de mitad de periodo del 8 de noviembre. Biden está tratando de agregar suficiente oferta para evitar picos en los precios del petróleo a corto plazo que podrían castigar a los estadounidenses y asegurar a los perforadores estadounidenses que el gobierno ingresará al mercado como comprador si los precios caen demasiado. Dijo que se ofrecerán 15 millones de barriles de petróleo de la Reserva Estratégica de Petróleo, parte de una liberación récord de 180 millones de barriles que comenzó en mayo y agregó que Estados Unidos está listo para aprovechar las reservas nuevamente a principios del próximo año para controlar precios. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. And this is our weekly segment with Max Page. Max is the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association. Max, I'd love you to start out by telling us what happened last night. A big announcement at 10 or 11 o'clock at night has been covered some in the media this morning, but a major development, I understand this is in the eastern part of the state, but still a very significant victory for educators that I think will inspire teachers and other educators across the state. What happened and why? Yes, yeah, so um, I was there until 11 p.m. last night in, in the city of Haverhill, one of our gateway cities. Um, and they finally, after a four-day strike, um, secured a contract that was signed on the steps of City Hall there at about 10 p.m. Um, and there's lots to be said. There were a lot of people involved trying to get this to conclusion, and um, including Secretary of Labor Marty Walsh, who was on various flights after when he landed, before he took off, making calls to various people. And there were a lot of people involved in making this come to conclusion. But the, the main thing, I just was so remarkably impressed by the members themselves and how they had built a powerful coalition with parents to get both um, fair pay for educators. They're way below the pay in, in from compared to surrounding communities, as well as um, advanced the effort to have more um, diverse education workforce to make sure uh, their safety in the schools. There's been a lot of violent incidents between students as well as students to educators. And they simply faced for the last six months um, a school committee that wouldn't even talk to them, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't respond to their proposals at all. And so finally they took you know, this dramatic step um, to vote to go on strike, and then things moved quickly from there, although um, school every night, it could have been resolved, but the school committee um, simply was ready to just cancel school the next day rather than continue bargaining through the night. 
but last night it ended well. They got a great contract and kids are back in school with their, their educators this morning. Max, what uh, resolved the logjam? I mean, it sounded like there was very high tension and enormous opposition back and forth between the school committee and the educators. What happened to allow this situation to be resolved and resolved successfully? Well, um, Bill, I will say that it was ready. We thought it was ready to be resolved on Tuesday. Um, the, the, the superintendent closed schools like at 6 p.m. <laughs> we said, what, what are you doing in a snow day? You'll, you'll call it at 5 a.m. that day. And it's not ideal. It's not ideal. But if you're bargaining, you move through and push to the end. Did that, did that again the next night, was prepared to do it. In fact, they announced the closure of school, even as they were negotiating. Um, what moved it? Um, you know, there was a lot of pressure. As I said, Secretary Marty Walsh, former Boston mayor, really put a lot of pressure. A lot of, we, a lot of good supportive um, state reps, Andy Vargas, Congresswoman Lori Trahan, um, Senator Ed Markey and statements were sent from, from Elizabeth Warren. I mean, there was a lot of pressure to say, get this done, get, get the kids back at school. The final issue was the effort by the school committee and the city um, to punish the union for this uh, action and, and charge them exorbitant extortionist level fines. Um, so that really held it up. Everything was resolved much earlier in the day. And then they said, no, you're going to be docked pay. You're going to, we're going to retain our right to um, punish you for doing this. And we're going to charge, you know, a half a million dollars in fines. It was really a, a, a appalling. In the end, that, that dropped, all of that dropped radically lower when they realized that they wanted to get the, they wanted, they finally felt the pressure um, to get the kids back in school. And there were uh, hundreds of parents and students and educators outside City Hall for four hours saying, do your job, open the schools. And so school committee finally relented. Is what happened in Haverhill an outlier or is this a situation that we might anticipate seeing, at least in terms of issues or actions in other school districts throughout the state? Well, I think, I think um, educators are um, getting fed up with poverty wages for education support professionals. Actually, Haverhill had a great campaign and one dramatic increase for our paraprofessionals and clerks and um, cafeteria workers last year. Um, and many communities, I think, are saying, you know, especially after the pandemic and how hard educators work, they feel like there needs to be um, fair pay, but also better working conditions on a, on a range of issues. So um, the members are just standing up for themselves is basically what is what is happening. Let's turn to another issue, something that was addressed by Representative Sabadosa in our earlier segments this, today, and that's question four. Uh, there's enormous effort being made, I'm sorry, for question one, uh, which is the fair share amendment. And there is an article we should point out to our listeners. There's an article on the front page of today's Daily Hampshire Gazette that shows that question one is polling very well, about 60%, uh, 60% to 39, 60% plus, and that's with some un undecided voters uh, not being counted, obviously, one way or the other. What is going on with regard to question one, the fair share amendment? How do you see its prospects and what can people do to help, Max? Yes, so question one, of course, is um, we've talked about a number of times. It's an absolutely essential, urgent, historic moment 
to secure $2 billion a year for public education, pre-K through higher ed, and for fixing our roads and bridges and, and transportation systems by asking the very wealthiest uh, to pay their fair share. And it's, yes, it's doing well, but the other side is just dumped $3 million more into ads that you will unfortunately have to watch because they are full of lies and misinformation. Um, I am pleased that the Berkshire Eagle today has endorsed the fair share amendment, and they say this measure would generate considerable new revenue simply by asking an exceptionally small percentage of exceptionally wealthy individuals to chip in another four cents on every dollar earned above $1 million. Um, so we're, we're pleased that the Berkshire Eagle um, is endorsing it and a number of other papers are beginning to endorse. But it's going to be a fight to the end. There's a long history of, um, you know, narrow votes around tax issues. So there are dozens and dozens of um, phone banking and canvases that I know Rep Sabadose is helping to organize here in Northampton and it's going to be headlining and I hope to be at some of those. So fairsharema.com slash volunteer, fairsharema.com slash volunteer gives a list of every single phone bank and canvas and across the state that is going on. And it will really be a push to the end. And what is key is that it's not just a bill that creates a little bit of money for one year. It's a constitutional amendment. It changes our constitution. It embeds in our constitution a small tax surtax on the very, very wealthiest people making over $1 million a year. And it dedicates the money. So it's not like just poured into the general fund. It has to be dedicated to, to pre-K through higher ed, schools, colleges, and universities, and then transportation systems. When you look at this law, are you optimistic about what effect it will have? And what do you see? I understand the money, but can you tell us more, a bit more about what the money is apt to go for specifically or not? We do not know exactly what it will go for. I think there's a wide range of issues to address. We know we have a number in the education side and there was just a report from those, um, the, you know, uh, a coalition, a public transit coalition arguing that fair share could really help to at least dedicate some money on a regular every year towards uh, bringing the, you know, bringing the MBTA into the 21st century, which means skipping right over the 20th century and uh, <laughs> making it an effective uh, transportation system for a very modern um, economy. So there's no, no exact um, specifics, there's no, but it's clear that it must go to those areas and that having that is crucial. And I will say it's related to what we were talking about before, Bill, in Haverhill. They were able, I think, ultimately to win a good contract because of the Student Opportunity Act passed in 2019, a major investment in public schools, but without a clear funding source. And that's that it will that that bill is that is rolling in over seven years. More money is going to to districts slowly but surely over seven years. This this is absolute guarantees that we can fulfill that and more for our K-12 schools. And of course, there's a huge backlog of need for investment in public higher education, as we've talked about on this show, whether it's fixing the buildings, providing fair pay for adjunct faculty, lowering the cost of tuition to the point where it's debt-free again. So lots of, lots of opportunities. We're going to leave it there. We've been speaking with Max Page. Max is the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association. He is encouraging us to vote yes on question one. And so am I. Max, thank you so very much. Thank you, Bill.
This is Bill Newman, WHMP. This week's Shop Tuesday is Rustic Brewing Company. This Tuesday at 9 a.m., Rustic Brewing releases certificates for their brewery and taproom in Indian Orchard. Rustic Brewing, New England IPAs, Stouts, Sours, Lagers, and Golden Ale. Open Fridays and Saturdays in Indian Orchard's Studio G21 building. And this Tuesday, you save 30%. Rustic Brewing Company in Indian Orchard. Available this Shop Tuesday at 9 a.m. on the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. Things to do with butternut. Roast it with butter and sage, mash it with butter and maple syrup, stuff it with quinoa, kale, and cranberries, and then there's curried butternut soup. Squash. The season is long, the recipes are endless, and River Valley Co-op is a fall festival of squash. Next time you're there, buy that squash you never buy. Kabocha squash or Blue Hubbard squash. Why? Why not? River Valley Co-op. Everyone is welcome, not just members. And everyone is wild about local squash. What's for dinner tonight? What's on your plate is a conversation with the land, with the farmers. Local farm fresh food is all around. Get it direct from farms and farm stands, at farmer's markets, at grocery stores, in local restaurants. Just look for CESA's bright yellow Local Hero label, letting you know that this is food from local farms, grown with care by friends and neighbors. Local Hero food, as fresh as it gets. Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2, only on WHMP. Brought to you by Greenfield Savings Bank with offices all throughout Hampshire and Franklin Counties. GreenfieldSavings.com. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Today, I'm convening this conference because I believe we can use these advances to do even more to make America stronger and a healthier nation, to achieve ambitious goals and hunger in this country by the year 2030. This is a big deal. The President of the United States just announced to the world that ending hunger and promoting better nutrition in this country is a national priority. I think that's a good plan, and I think we can do it. Meanwhile, our neighbors have to eat today. The Food Bank of Western Mass is there for the over 100,000 neighbors who rely on emergency food each month. And if you want to help support the Food Bank of Western Mass, you can join the March for the Food Bank 13 Thanksgiving week. The federal government is making moves when it comes to fighting hunger, and the Food Bank itself is making moves. From Hatfield to Chicopee, you can move with us locally as we march from Springfield to Northampton on day one and Northampton to Greenfield on day two. March yourself, start a team, virtually march. Get involved, make some moves. Monty's March 13, making moves. Monday and Tuesday, November 21st and 22nd. Sign up now at montysmarch.com. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. And this is Art Beat. Our usual Art Beat host, Donabel Cassis, is off today. And we have with us Joanne Holtje, who is an artist in the Valley. Her primary medium is oil colors. She has an upcoming exhibit, by the way, at the Oxbow Gallery. And she has with her and us today a very special guest. So, Joanne, let me turn the microphone over to you. And the pleasure and honor of the introduction is yours. Wonderful. Good morning. Thank you so much, Bill and Monty. Um, yeah, as an artist living and working and exhibiting in the Pioneer Valley, it's great to have this 
opportunity, um, you know, to talk about art that's happening right here, right now. Um, I have with me today, as you mentioned, uh, photographer Sondra Perron, who is a professor of art at Springfield Technical Community College, as well as the gallery director there. Sondra and I go back like seven years and have worked together on projects a number of times. Um, I have great respect for her work and uh, value her thoughts on contemporary art. Good morning, Sandra. Good morning, Joanne. Hey, the other day, Sandra came and visited my studio in Holyoke and caught a preview of the work I'll be showing at Oxbow Gallery in East Hampton uh, starting next week. Uh, this series of oil paintings deals very specifically with the war in Ukraine. Um, and it is primarily, first and foremost, an art exhibit, but it is also um, being run as a fundraiser, um, which I feel quite passionate about. Um, so Sandra, what uh, thoughts and questions did this visit leave you with? Uh, well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me to your studio. I feel like a studio is a little sanctuary, you know, and so it is it is really wonderful to do that again. Um, I think I had last been there uh, deep pandemic when we were working on a virtual um, uh, Carberry Conversations interview. And so I really appreciate the opportunity to see your work prior to it um, being on an exhibit at the Oxbow. But um, I was blown away by this new series, to, to be quite yeah. honest. Um, it's very powerful. Um, and your work is highly recognizable here in the Pioneer Valley. You know, it's it, it's very expressive. It's it's usually very colorful, um, you know, the mark making. Um, and the viewer can see the physicality with the paint. Um, and oftentimes, you straddle between abstraction and representation. Um, but your your scenes tend to be uplifting. <laughs> Um, so can you, can you talk a little bit about why you chose to do this series on the Ukraine and, you know, the fact that it is like a much darker color palette and, and much more intense subject? Yeah, it was intense. Uh, and the, the, the answer is really quick and easy. I don't choose the topic. The topic chooses me. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I go into my studio. I begin to paint, I don't go with an idea, I'm going to paint this thing or this um, even content. Mm -hmm. I, I really, I get, like you said, I love paint. I get turned on by the substance of paint, the color, the texture. And I start moving it around and then, you know, whatever has been foremost in my mind or my heart, I think, you know, starts to come to the surface. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, this spring, the news was all about this incredible, audacious mm -hmm. uh, invasion of Ukraine and um, the pictures that were, were flooding the TV and computer mm -hmm. really got into my head. And mm -hmm. uh, that does happen occasionally for mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. uh, but often it's just a one-off. It's like I do a painting on a topic. Right. right. I'm done. And yeah. go back to like happy landscapes. Well, you you said you're not a news junkie, but in fact, <laughs> like this isn't the first series that is, or or, or paintings, you know, uh, that yeah. deal with a really uh, intense subject matter. Because, um, you know, can you talk a little bit about some of the subject matter you've approached in your paintings? Yeah. After years. Yeah. Well, I think the first sort of you know. Um, 
well, I don't know. I have done a number, I guess, yeah, when Australia was burning on fire, I was motivated um, to do a painting on that. Um, and uh, when the uh, murder of George Floyd took place, uh, yeah. I was moved. I'm not a member of that community, obviously anyone who knows me, um, but if I am a member of America and it happened in America, mm -hmm. And I felt it in my own way, very profoundly. Yeah. Um, and then most recently, I was pretty distressed by some of the decisions that our Supreme Court made. Mm -hmm. and, um, made a painting in regards to that. Yeah. But, yeah. but usually it's like more like nature and the energy <laughs> of, yeah. you know, the natural world that, that is what interests me. And, um, but this war really grabbed a hold. And once I had a couple of paintings, I was like, oh, okay. And then I become more deliberate mm -hmm. with the process. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, how did you approach making this series Lamentations? Uh, well, I, I am uh, looking through the, the photographs um, posted mm -hmm. by journalists was critical. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I just, I know we're, we're sort of winding down. So I do want to get to the, um, the fundraising aspect as oh, well. Oh, yes, yes, yes. No, I mean, you've been an active member of Oxbow Gallery since like 2014, right? The gallery mm -hmm. moved from Northampton to East Hampton uh, about a year ago. Um, and for, uh, you know, could you just briefly uh, describe what the Oxbow is? Sure, we're a cooperative gallery, which means um, all of the artists uh, run the gallery. I mean, we're basically own, owners operators. We pay the bills, we do all the functions that need to happen. Um, and in exchange, we have an opportunity to exhibit our work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So in this case, this particular um, exhibition that you're putting on, the proceeds uh, of the sales for the show, plus an additional 20% match, right, from an anonymous <laughs> owner, will be donated uh, to a nonprofit charity. Uh, can you talk about that nonprofit charity? Yeah, it's uh, the name of it is Razom for Ukraine. And um, I chose them specifically. They had, you know, very good ratings in terms of a, a well-operated uh, charity. And it is very specific to uh, relief efforts in Ukraine, which was... Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so these will be able to... Um, There'll be a little donation box and I've made little buttons so you can come get a button um, wow. and certainly buy a painting. Mm -hmm. And uh, also there will be um, a QR code if people want to make their own um, direct donation. So you have a number of events associated with this though. Um, the opening reception uh, for, for uh, Jan Holche's Lamentations is on Friday, November 4th from 5 to 8 p.m. at the Oxbow Gallery which uh, again is located at 40 Cottage Street in East Hampton. Um, and that is associated with the every first Friday is Arts Walk. In East yep. Hampton, right? Yeah, and um, uh, we have a art, uh, Oxbow actually has uh, two separate gallery spaces. I'll be in the back room. The front room will be our artist, uh, Jane Timken. Okay. And so there's one other special event that you have uh, planned. Yeah, on um, Saturday, uh, November 12th at 11 o'clock in the morning, I'm just holding a silent uh, meditation for peace because that's another way to donate to the whole process. Yeah, yeah, that's gonna be held at the gallery. 
at the gallery. At the gallery. Um, so uh, for more information, people can go to oxbowartgallery.com. Um, Joanne Holtje's artwork will be on view until November 27th. Um, and I encourage everyone uh, to go. Um, don't miss it. It's a great opportunity to see work in person again. Yeah, thank you, Sandra. It is really important to see art in person. Uh, photographs, computer screens only go so far. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And the hours when we can see this, when the Oxbow Yeah, is the Oxbow is open from um, uh, Thursday through Sunday, noon until five, and Fridays we are now open until seven. So, you know, come wander East Hampton, get an ice cream at Mount Tom's, pop in, see some art. Thank you so very much. Joanne Holche, Sandra Perron, thank you so very, very much. Thank you. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. The top-ranked Massachusetts Minutemen return to the ice at the Mullen Center this Friday and Saturday to take on Union. Puck drops at 7 p.m. and Saturday is the shutout hunger drive. Donate a non-perishable food item and receive one ticket voucher to an upcoming game. UMass hockey tickets can be purchased at umassathletics.com tickets or if you can't make it, listen to all the action right here on WHMP, your home for UMass hockey. 101.5-1400-1240 WHMP. Pets and people, they belong together. They help us feel calm and loved with every tail wag, kiss, and snuggle. Bacon Humane Society believes in this bond, and your support keeps people and pets together. You provide resources so animals with medical issues can get the care they need to find homes. Our pet food aid program lets people facing tough times feed and keep their pets because you care. Bacon's many programs and services help companion animals and the people who love them. To make a gift, visit DakinHumane.org. Live and news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station. It's